Hello, friends. Welcome back to the third in our series of podcasts about how to improve your profile online. My name's Steve Cross. I'm a professional researcher, developer, and communicator of research. Uh, I do this sort of stuff for a living. Um, I've also been podcasting forever and ever and ever. But uh, I'm joined by somebody who's an absolute expert in helping researchers achieve the things that they want to achieve in their careers. Would you like to introduce yourself to our lovely listeners? Hi, everyone. I'm Sam Byers. I'm a researcher developer based at Cambridge. In our second podcast, we looked at how to get your voice out so that people can hear from you and start to establish an idea of who you are and what you're interested in, with a view to getting you involved in projects and research and just the sharing of ideas. And today we're going to take a look at the written word, so how you can get your ideas out and about uh, in the written form, which aren't uh, published monologues, published papers and those sorts of things. We're specifically going to look at blogging, we're going to look at getting involved with magazines, and other publications. We're going to look at opinion pieces. Sam, you've developed lots of uh, Cambridge researchers over the past few years. Is there anything out there that Cambridge people are producing that you particularly like in this area? I really like um, this Cambridge life. So you'll find, you'll get access to this um, via the the main Cambridge uh, website page, or if you can't find it there, if you just Google this Cambridge life, It's a really fun way of getting to understand what students and academics within Cambridge actually do. The good thing about them is that it's giving an overview of what the student or academic does, but it also brings in a little element of their personal life as well. One that I found really, really interesting was a blog called The Engineering Student Who Gets His Kicks From Playing With Pythons. Really, really interesting to see how this student is pursuing a career in engineering, but also playing I believe it's American football. For um, individual researchers, what do you think the benefits are of setting up a blog, setting up a way of sharing their writing that is distinct from academic publication? I think it's a great way to develop another set of writing skills, which actually do help you, particularly when you come to perhaps write um, grant proposals, particularly there's an element of grant proposals now where you have to kind of write what your research is, but in a layman's term. And so blogging is a really good way of just being able to kind of communicate what your re- what your research is in a more layman's term. And also it brings an element of, I suppose, of who you are into it as well. So people can see that you're not only a successful researcher, but you're also um, a human being as well. And that makes you more approachable. I think that's really important. One of the things that I teach at Cambridge is um, networking. And one of the things I'm really interested in is how you go from having met somebody or come across them on Twitter and to actually wanting to collaborate with them, wanting to build a more meaningful relationship. And one of the areas that I always emphasize is having a repository of the way that you think, having a product that people can go and find in order to find out more about you. And a blog is a lovely way of doing that. You know, if I'm an, uh, an early medievalist and uh, I meet you and you're an early medievalist, I want to find out before I propose that we should do research together or I share tips about interesting archives. I want to know what you're like. I want to know what areas you're interested in. Do we think the same? Do we have the same? It can even come down to politics. Before I work with somebody, I want to know that they're broadly a nice person. So, Sam, of all the researchers that you've supported, are there any success stories in terms of putting their their thoughts out there as text online? There are quite a few. One of the most successful ones, though, isn't a student I've worked with, but actually the head of research and development. So they set up... 
Are we are we advertising your boss here? Mm, slightly. So he um, he set up um, a number of years ago um, an early career blog, which still gets quite a few hits. The really nice thing about this was that he was he managed to set up a nice collaboration with other with other universities. He works closely with um, another research developer in Oxford, and, and what they do is that they um, they rotate who writes the blog when, which is really really nice because one of the things that you could run into while you're blogging is actually finding the time to write them. I suppose with with all of this profile raising we need to acknowledge you need time to do it and do it effectively so if you can set up perhaps a blog and then invite people to to join your blog it allows you to kind of take a step back perhaps continue with your your research your write, writing of your papers and allows them to develop those blogging skills as well and i think that's a really strong way of networking you know having a platform like that and being able to say to other people that you want to work with and you want to interact with will you come and write a guest post for my blog it's the central hub of thinking about early career researcher development um it's a nice way to work with those people i have a, a, an academic i worked with who did something quite similar um he was a lecturer in old norse and he set up a blog called old norse news because there wasn't a central place where all of the latest findings in old norse and all of the jobs in old norse and all of the relevance of Old Norse in popular culture, you know, Lord of the Rings and things like that, was uh, being shared. Um, so he set that up. He got other people to come and blog on it. And it very quickly kind of made him in a lot of people's head the central person in Old Norse in the UK and especially online. So he was very, very well networked very quickly through Old Norse News. Old Norse News is also a great success story in terms of public engagement, partly because um, Tolkien fans started going onto it and asking lots of questions about about runes and then you had um, professional academics who do Old Norse answering questions about Tolkien's use of runes in Lord of the Rings and uh, sharing their research outputs that way. Um, it was yeah it was a great great little success story. Another way is um, writing for Learner Society magazines it's not really blogging but actually it's a really good way of just getting your name out there because there's usually a picture and all sorts of people read those um, things and that can be quite useful. One of the best success stories I had was that I ran a training session for uh, arts and humanities researchers and I suggested a bunch of places that they could share their work uh, one of them being History Today which is a magazine and website for history fans and um, I got a lovely email a week later because one of the researchers had walked out of the training session gone onto the History Today website emailed them said he worked in a specific area and would like to write them a thing um, because he'd read History Today so he knew the sorts of things they were interested in they emailed back within two hours and said yeah brilliant we'll have 1500 words on that please we need we need it by the 14th um and it was that simple they gave him money as well but um his his work went from being hidden away in one building in central london to being in this kind of mass uh i mean it's mass for history it's not uh the daily mail or something but um very very quickly and and that sort of thing is available to a lot of researchers and i think most researchers don't realize that you can just do that you can email organizations and magazines and pitch stuff that you want to do part of that pitching process though is making it easy for them to say yes we want you to write it uh, and that can be having your writing out there so that they can go and have a look and go this person can communicate because the first assumption of most uh, public facing uh, publications will be that researchers can't write sadly um 
but they can't write in any way that the rest of us could understand. And it might be worth perhaps doing that, doing the same thing, putting a pitch to your Learned Society magazine. They're always asking for um, opinion pieces or um, perhaps experiences. I wrote for um, I wrote quite a few things for a Learned Society magazine that I um, I was with when I was a, a postdoc. Sometimes they can be quite short um, pieces. Sometimes they can be longer pieces. But if you, yeah, by pitching to them, then that means that they it saves them a job of having to perhaps go and approach a more um, senior academic who perhaps is who perhaps might be more reluctant to actually write something purely based on um, the amount of time that they've got. They don't always have the time to write to write these things, um, and then and that's a way of them then starting to come to you when they if they know that you can write well and that you have good grounded opinions on things that are on topic or your um your experiences have, have shown to relate to other early career re researchers they'll start to invite you then to write more more pieces and it is a really good way it is it is really fun it teaches you how to be concise but at the same time interesting that's why i like to do it because i'm not an interesting person and my very <laughs> boring <laughs> so this was a really good way of getting me um, out of my comfort zone and actually making my writing a bit more approachable. I'm Facebook friends with some people who edit Learned Society magazines and um, I can let you know just from the way that they moan about things on Facebook. These magazines are desperate for interesting content. We've talked a bit about Learned Society magazines. I mean, one of the joys of Cambridge, if you're a PhD student rather than any other kind of researcher, is you can just write for Varsity. Is Varsity still a thing? Yes, I believe so. Because, yeah, I've, I've seen with universities I work at, I realised that one PhD student who I'm working with is the science editor and they're commissioning other PhD students that I'm working with to write pieces. And the nice thing there is it does go through an editor and it does get seen by quite a lot of people and it goes onto the website so that you can then use it later in your life as you build up your portfolio of things that you've written that are aimed at general audiences. Um, those sorts of magazines are really helpful. Don't underestimate the reach of those. There was a piece in the British Psychological Society magazine um, about Bright Club, the, the early comedy nights that I ran. And um, they printed a whole poster, essentially, of a researcher telling jokes. She was right across the double page. And both she and I got loads of follow-up from neuroscientists and psychologists uh, across the country wanting to get involved in our programmes. I ended up opening the Federation of European Neuroscience Societies conference this year because they'd heard about the comedy work that I was doing uh, in those ways. And the nice thing for me was I got to also bring a researcher with me um, to do stand-up comedy. So a relatively early career. She's just got her own group and um, she was doing stand-up comedy about her work in front of all of the most elite neuroscientists in Europe. So that, that whole thing worked quite well for us. Sam, lots of researchers that I've worked with uh, have started to get really involved with a site called The Conversation. Do you do you know that one? Um, I don't, unfortunately. Um, okay. Blogging is something that I don't um, I don't do an awful lot of at the moment. Uh, so The Conversation is really interesting for me because it's kind of halfway between um, an edited uh, publication and blogging. So the, the conversation, they support academics specifically to get their work out in the form of blogs, but they also have a team of editors who will knock those blogs into a useful shape. And that can be really helpful, especially if it's your first time writing for the public. The other lovely thing about the conversation is that everything that's on there has a license that it can be picked up and used by publications around the world. So as a researcher, rather than you just putting your blog out and hoping that somebody reads it, you're 
blog is being specifically um, shopped around and uh, you can find that your thoughts on the way that flu virus spreads become a piece in an Australian newspaper the next day or something like that. So it's a really great platform. Um, not every university, I think, has a relationship with them. And uh, it's worth researchers going and having a look at that if you want to get into this sort of thing. But you're you're really interested in writing one or two specific pieces that have high impact rather than trying to build up a whole repository of your thought. Um, people I know who are trying to build up the repository of their thought, they do one of two things. One is they just start their own blog. And uh, there are some very successful ones of these. My favourite one is uh, Early Modern John, who was a researcher at Cambridge. He's now, I think, at Leeds. Um, he's an early modern um, historian who works specifically on language and travel and tourism. And his stuff is great because his blog is very much about things that are in the news now, whether in academia or history or more widely, and how they link back to his work and how they connect with his work. So if the BBC do a new series about the history of Europe in the early modern period, you can get his thoughts on it and how it links to his research very quickly. He also has a recipes section on his blogging site, which is uh, very useful, you know. Come for the history, stay for the brownies. Um, it's just a lovely website to go and read. And if you know John, he's a very engaging, very kind, very generous man who's also brilliantly intelligent. And that really comes through in his blog. You know, if I was a radio producer, I would look at his blog and be desperate to get him to come and do things. And if I was a historian, I'd be really keen to work with him because he clearly knows his stuff, but is fun about it. So you can get across a lot about yourself through a blog. So that's if you want to set up your own blog. Um, I think his is earlymodernjohn.wordpress.com. I use WordPress for all of my blogging. There are lots of other blogging platforms out there. One blogging platform that I see a lot of academics using is called Medium. So Medium's nice because you don't have to do the work of designing pages and setting up a site architecture and things like that that you need to do for WordPress. You just write articles for it. Um, and it's also good because it's a site that lots of people are aware of and it cross-links articles. So there's a chance that if somebody is reading a piece about user interface design, your article that's relevant about user interface design will be linked at the bottom for them to follow up. One thing I love about it is that it tells you how long articles are in minutes. So you're, you know in advance whether you're getting in for a quick five minute read on the stuff you want to know or whether this is a good 40 minute long read that you're going to be digging into for a while. You can judge accordingly. Uh, Medium has some weaknesses. Its search engine's not very good. Um, a friend of mine wrote a series of blogs where he tried to win the lottery by watching every single Nicolas Cage film and then extracting six numbers from each film and then using those numbers to play the lottery. Uh, it was the first time I'd really seen a kind of long form collection on Medium and it really stuck in my head. But one of the problems was he had to set up his own page linking to all of the articles because Medium's linking and search functions in terms of finding the same person's work aren't great. They're very good in terms of finding other people's work that is related. 
Um, so do have a look at Medium if you want to put things up and you don't want to commit to sorting out what a blog is going to look like and do those sorts of things. As part of the research for this piece, uh, I also went looking for departmental blogs because if you want to write one thing, sometimes you don't want to have to go and set up an account with somebody or you don't have to, you don't want to build your own site. But lots of the departments across Cambridge have their own blogs, partly as a way of showing that the department's work is relevant to people in the real world and what's going on in the news and partly as a way I think of building up the skills of people within the department. So the one I found first was the uh, the sociology departmental blog sociology.com.ac.uk slash blog um, which is full of sociological perspectives on things that are happening now. And starting off in a um, with a departmental blog a lot of departments in Cambridge are really really big so just perhaps writing for the the sociology blog may mean that there are people within that department that perhaps haven't um, perhaps haven't heard of you before, uh, and that's how collaborations can get started. People then just perhaps ping you an email related to your blog, and there we go. It starts from there. And that's something that comes up whenever I teach networking for um, early career people at Cambridge, is that uh, the very senior people in your department, the people who could link you up with the relevant department in the US or really could help you accelerate your career can seem a bit distant and hard to get to. And sometimes you need tricks to make yourself be the obvious person for them to talk to and work with. The best trick we ever had, it's not online, was that there's a department where people go for a pub quiz every month. And what one PhD student would do was find the most senior person in the room that she hadn't met. And she knew this from looking at the pictures on the website and go up to them and say, can I be on your pub quiz team? And then that meant that she would spend the entire night being interesting next to this very senior member of staff. And over time, so she was on first name terms with every professor in her department in a way that no other PhD student was. And yeah, writing for the department blog is a way of doing that, uh, getting yourself noticed and also showing that you're a team player within your department you're someone who's trying to help uh, but also do the pub quiz thing which is one of my favorite networking hacks i've ever come across from a researcher it's it it does work really well i've done that and became um on first name terms with a couple of um uh, senior academics from other universities and that that helped me an awful lot particularly when i was considering moving from um from academia um to um a different job path they were really they were really really helpful and honest so in terms of the ways that uh, researchers are running their blogs or running the places where they put your opinions i've kind of noticed that there are two ways that people do it that seem to be successful one is regularity you know that every friday there will be another piece about something um, which is wonderful because you can get regular readers who are really interested in you. And also committing to regularity makes you produce a lot of content. It makes you develop your skills. It's the same thing I say to podcasters who say, I might put out an episode every month. I say, well, you'll forget everything you learned by the next month. You have to put out an episode every week so that you get good at it. And blogging can be the same thing. But the other way that I see people doing it is um, being news appropriate. So they wait for something that's relevant because then they know that if they spread their blog enough, bits of it will get picked up as part of the discussion of whatever's happening. Um, and that's a good way of then diverting traffic back to the blog. You know, you'll see a comment that said, Dr. So-and-so said in their blog on the subject, dot 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 with a link and that comes back and that builds up the visibility of you as the person who knows about 
cancer genetics or the person who knows about uh, the philosophical discussion of the soul or whatever it is. Um, and I've seen both of those work very successfully. And also the really key thing with all of this, and it's true even if you're a published writer now, is that you're responsible for getting your work out there. You can't write a blog and hope that people find it. You also need to be pushing it across social media in the ways that we talked about in episode one. You need to be mentioning it whenever you do any sort of public event. You know, come and see. You can find out more about my thoughts on the cataloging of uh, archives by going to my blog. And that's a huge thing that publishers now know is the way that you get the word out about written things. And so if you were trying to get a book deal, part of the questions they'll ask is, what public events are you doing? What academic events are you doing? How are you going to get the word out about this? How will you mention it? What's your social media following? What networks do you have access to that you can spread the word about this? And that's a vital part. So if you just want a blog to make your writing better, you probably don't need to spread it. But you do need some people to come and tell you what you're doing wrong because just writing doesn't make you better at writing. You need somebody to go through it and go, I don't understand that. That sentence makes no sense. If you want to get better, you don't care who reads it as long as you get some feedback. But if you actually want to be part of the conversation in your subject, if you're doing this to raise your profile, you need to be pushing it. And then other people will read it, look at it and go, this is an interesting take. I'll push it. You know, they'll share it with students who are thinking in similar ways. But there's so much that you have to do to get your work out. And again, the university press office can help with this. If you write something that's really on the mark, they'll be trying to share it with the journalists to use bits of it in their work. But uh, you have to respect them when they say it's not going to work. So one criticism of blogging or of writing opinion pieces or writing for magazines is that this isn't peer-reviewed publication and doesn't carry the same weight. And I think that's true, but I also think it doesn't really matter because readers know that as well. Readers know that they're taking on board kind of unmoderated thought of somebody who's an expert in the field. Sam, thanks so much for sharing your experience of blogging and getting writing up online with me and sharing the success stories of research as you've developed. Uh, I think we're going to let our listeners go on with the rest of their lives for a bit before episode four. Would you like to say goodbye to our lovely listeners? Bye, everybody. Good luck with your blog writing. Goodbye, everybody. And do go out there and read what your competitors and your collaborators are doing online and think about how you can adapt to the very best things they're already doing. Have a great time.